Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Greg Strawbridge. He is the pastor of All Saints Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He's authored and edited a number of books, including The Case for Covenant Communion and The Case for Covenantal Infant Baptism. He also runs WordMP3.com. Greg, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be back. We've got some interesting texts. I think the first reading is from the book of Esther. I think there are only two times that the lectionary deals with the book of Esther. Hmm. It's chapter seven, I think, and chapter nine. So this is so if you're a big Esther fan, you get the shot like twice, and I guess like you know, not even annually, you get every you know couple of years. So if the, if you're an Esther fan, this is your shot. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I noticed that it's not. There's no subsequent readings or, or readings before this this day, and this takes the two key passages about the great deliverance that was brought about through Esther puts them together nicely so the reading is is very helpful yeah if you were going to do like esther's greatest hits you have uh you know oh actually maybe only one time actually maybe it only isn't one time it just has seven and nine uh actually so yeah it combines verse maybe it's only one time so this is your shot uh you have seven verses one through six then verses nine through ten and then chapter nine verses 20 through 22 so this is really if you're going to preach on esther this is it and yeah you have she, the king and Haman, uh, are in this feast with Esther, and as they're drinking wine, the king says, what's your petition, Queen Esther? It should be granted you, and, and what is your request? Uh, even to half of my kingdom may be fulfilled. And then the queen answers, if I've won your favor, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me. That is my petition, and the lives of my people. That's my request. And of course, she gets that and saves her people, and ultimately, the nemesis of her people also meets his demise. Yep, that's right. Great story. You know, the chapter four, the only, the other sort of biggest hits passage out of Esther is 414. Uh, if I perish, I perish. You know, I'm going to go before the king. And if I perish, I perish for such a time as this. It's that, that section there. Um, very interesting about the background. So in this passage, we have the Haman uh, reference. Of course, Haman is, is in hanged on the very gallows he had constructed for Mordecai. Um, the background to that is that, uh, as it's set up in the book, is that Haman is uh, one of the descendants of the Amalekite king that fought Israel as they were coming out of uh, the Exodus. And so he's an Agagite, um, Haman the Agagite. And uh, very interesting background. So this is like life, you know, hundreds of years of enemy uh, background comes up with Mordecai the Jew and um, the... Amalekite, um, Agagite, Haman. So you have this fierce thing. And the other thing that I think is interesting, I get this from uh, Jim Jordan. His commentary and his uh, some of his lectures and stuff are on wordmp3.com. If you just search on Esther, you'll see a bunch of his stuff. But he's done quite an in-depth study. And he, he makes the point that this is a very significant 
um, historical episode in the life of Israel. So we kind of relegate it to, oh, this is kind of an interesting book because, you know, some of the facts of the book are that God is not mentioned. They don't talk about right, prayer. Right, yeah. right. So, and there's been struggle like Protestant reformers and even some Jews struggle with, you know, is this really a canonical book, even though it's been accepted in the canon from the very beginning? Um, so exactly what's going on. But if you look at it in the, in the course of history, um, Jordan makes a case that if you look at the book of Ezekiel, Zechariah, and even in Jeremiah's prophecy about Elam, these all have to do with the events surrounding this. And specifically, he says, the battle of Gog and Magog, which is, you know, kind of the lore of eschatological language, you know, what, who, what is Gog and what is Magog? Um, Jordan believes that this event, the the fall of Haman and his plot against the Jews is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 and 39, because um, Gog is a reference to the Agagite, Haman the Agagite, the, um, the Amalekite um, uh, uh, pursuit of the Jews for, you know, for death, which is a recurring pattern, he believes. Uh, it happened right after the Exodus, and it also happens then. The, the commentator Deborah Reed in the Tyndale uh, commentary series says that uh, Haman is an Agagite, a term associated with the Amalekite enemies of God's people. And you can read like in Exodus 17 about that in Deuteronomy 25. By this designation, Haman's conflict with Mordecai finds ancient roots. Mordecai of Saul's family line encounters Haman of the line of King Agog, the king of the Amalekites. And the, the results, of course, are that there's this great victory. And um, again, it's likely that uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39, Zechariah 1 uh, has reference and a couple of passages in Zechariah, um, Zechariah 2, 8 through 9, have reference to the fulfillment of the victory that comes through uh, this, this period of time. So again, I think it, it may be more significant than we think. This is like a confirmation that God is actually going to be with his people coming out of exile. Yeah, it's not just sort of an isolated event in history or something, but it's got this redemptive historical significance, right? And, and you know, the first, you know, there's Purim is still celebrated even today, commemorating right. this this deliverance. And, you know, it, it's it's interesting because just as Esther sort of wishes for her own life and that that petition is simultaneous you know and so to, you know it just it can it's conjoined with a plea for her people and you think of like typologically you know when paul says you know as all have died in adam you know all are made alive in christ you know that 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 christ's own faithfulness is is reckoned to his people you know and so it's it's just like uh you know every church eucharistic celebration should be like a yeah, like a Purim, ce- a Purim celebration, right? Yeah, we should wear costumes and stuff. Yeah, and and you know that that which is of course how Jews so it's one of the it's sort of like the the Jewish celebration usually involves dressing up today. Yeah, it's it's a very significant event as opposed to thinking of it as here's this one story of this one heroic woman. It actually factors if if indeed it's true that that's a fulfillment of the Battle of Gog and Magog. That's the fulfillment of uh, some of Zechariah's prophecies. By the way, the word we're told in in chapter two that Esther's name is Hadassah, which is the word for myrtle. It's a word for myrtle tree, and uh, Zechariah sees the um, he sees the kingdom, he sees the people of God as a grove of myrtle trees. That's in Zechariah one eight. 
And essentially, he if, if it is fulfillment of those strand of prophecies, and what you have is a big redemptive event that has to do with the um, end of the exile and the restoration of God's people and the great victory that he's won. Um, so it's a kind of second exodus, if you will. And it plays into those big themes, which are, of course, very big themes, you know, in, in the Old Testament. And yeah, it's interesting that that here's a book where the providence of God is at the forefront, and yet there's not a lot of religiosity. God doesn't speak. There's that. Yeah. So it's a, it's an encouragement. Oftentimes, our lives, when God seems silent, God is still active and and ever present. You know, and we learn that from this book. Yeah, there's no reference to prayer, but there is reference to fasting. So they fast for three days before the big showdown happens, uh, which is you know an indication that there was in fact prayer. It's not like it's a non-religious book, but it does miss a, a certain amount of things. It's like. God is behind it, but it's but not on the fore, not on the stage. You know, very very interesting there. I, I think it's. Um, let me point out. I always like to connect the Psalm of the day to the readings, and this particular Sunday, uh, Psalm one twenty four is the response Psalm, and it's if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel now say, if the Lord had not been on our side when enemies rose up against us, then. Would they have they would have swallowed us up alive in their fierce anger toward us? Would the waters have then would the waters would have overwhelmed us, um, and the raging waters would have gone over us? Blessed be the Lord who's not given us over to be prey for their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowler. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. It's very interesting to connect the episode of Esther to that psalm, because this is a tr- truly a, a, a thanksgiving for this great deliverance. And it's interesting, you know, the uh, last verse of Psalm one twenty four has been a pretty common uh, in the Reformed tradition, pretty common call to worship, right? Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, very common. And it it stands upon the great uh, redemption and new exodus that Esther um, gives us the story about. On to the book of James, we have chapter 5, verses 13 through 20, where we're told if anyone's suffering, they should pray. If they're cheerful, they should sing songs. If you're sick, you should uh, be anointed. And there's this the commendation of the prayer of the faithful. And it's interesting, at the end of the, this passage, there's this great phrase, and interesting, if anyone wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. So it's a really interesting kind of as we're working towards the end of the book of James here in the lecture. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot um, in the book of James. James is, is kind of a, a wisdom a literature book of the New Testament. Um, it's it's very, uh, has, a, has a lot of characteristics that follow from things like Proverbs and other aspects of wisdom literature. And so here you have uh, this call for praise and the, the response, but then it moves right into uh, the other condition of if you're sick, call for the elders of the church. Um, and then you have this uh, uh, word of confession confession of sins, pray for one another. And then the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. And then he goes into this little you know, anecdote about Elijah. And I always thought that was an interesting anecdote. There's something in the background of the Elijah comment that I think I like to bring out. 
Um, you know, Elijah was a human being like us. So he had our nature, but, you know, we tend to think uh, of, of prophets as, as super capable. And we know the story of Elijah and how he did some amazing things. He was a tremendous prophet with, you know, mighty in word and deed. Um, but we do also know that, you know, after he had the big showdown with the prophets of Baal, he was, uh, you know, needed some, needed some Prozac or something. He needed some kind of <laughs> a help because he was so depressed and he thought the enemies of God had still over, overwhelmed um, the people of God. Um, but James uses him in a very interesting way. He says, he prayed fervently that it might not rain and it didn't rain. Well, the reason I think that that's, that, that James could pull that up and say, this is, uh, this is like us, we have the same situation, is because in, the, in Deuteronomy, one of the passages in Deuteronomy, I'll, I can look it up if you need me to, but it, it, it says that the land that you're going into, Israel, is not like the land in Egypt where you could water it with your, you know, basically with irrigation. It's a land of hills and valleys. And essentially, if, you know, if, if the sky is shut up and, and, and uh, doesn't rain, you're going to perish. So basically, you're completely dependent upon the rains, which you don't have control of for for your crops. And, he, and and there's a specific promise in Deuteronomy. If you turn to worship idols, I will shut up the sky. And so the idea here, I think that James alludes to is Elijah simply prayed in response to the very specific promise that God had made, a promise of government, if they turned to idolatry. And of course, that's what was happening during that uh, time of the reign of Jezebel and uh, so forth. Um, they, they had turned to idols and, you know, he prayed that the, that God would do exactly what God promised in the book of Deuteronomy. And so it happened. I think that's the connection of, uh, you know, is Elijah like us? Well, he's like us. And then he can simply pray according to the will of God and God hears those prayers. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, I, this is true for Jesus too, that, that Jesus doesn't do miracles because he's the incarnate one and there's something magical about his humanity he does miracles in the power of the spirit you know the the spirit is on him in this powerful measure that never leaves so his his acts of 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 faithfulness and and healing and things are are done the way any human would do them in the spirit yeah that's right i mean yeah so there's always the um the call i guess to um point out that we are uh, dependent on the spirit, just as God uh, has always had his people dependent on the spirit. And there's, it's not as though the individual person is so great in and of themselves. It's not as though that's the power. That's not the source of the power. That's not even the source of the power in Jesus himself. Speaking of Jesus, our gospel reading is Mark 9, at verses 38 through 50. We have in this instance where John comes to Jesus and says, we saw someone casting demons in, out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Yep. And Jesus says, you know, don't stop him. He, was, you, a, he was a Methodist. He's <laughs> not against us. Yeah. If someone is not against us, they're for us, uh, you know. So there's this sense that if they're not, uh, you know, adversaries, they're they're friends. And then there's this discourse about putting 
stumbling blocks before little ones. Again, echoing this, these passages that come up again and again about children. And then there's this also this exhortation that if your hand causes you to sin or something, you know, it, that, you know, cut it off. And it's mm. better that you know you go uh, into a hell, you know maimed than yeah <laughs> or having maimed than hell uh with all your limbs. yeah well in the first one i mean there's a, there's a pretty direct response on on the first aspect of that little uh, pericope and that is uh there are many that we don't think are uh with christ that are with christ and so that my joke was they're methodists um <laughs> you could say that of course uh, they're presbyterians or they're they're mennonites they're doing good work but they're mennonites oh no what do we do you know and people will often do that I'm in a more conservative, reformed context, and so people will say, you know, uh, we were out of town, we visited this church, and they were Baptist, but, you know, they really, he really preached the gospel. Like, yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> we shouldn't we shouldn't have any suspicion that if they're not of our specific little tribe, uh, then they don't have the truth. So there's a direct, I think there's a pretty direct application on that idea. The other parts are a little harder, I think, to to figure out, and what the connection is. Um Whoever's not against us is for us. So that that's helpful. We can, you know, we can have um, some co-belligerency, if you will, <laughs> there. But then for truly, I tell you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink, um, because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. Um, so th- then it kind of moves from that to good, you know, to good works. And I, I do think that um, we should have a strong sense of Catholicity across all all churches, across denominations and such, as people do things in the name of Christ. And they're good things. You know, what they're doing is good. Um, now, sometimes we get into conflict when we don't really know whether it's a good mission of one denominational group to give uh, clean needles to addicts, you know, that kind of thing. Like, is that a good work or not? Uh, but but for the most part, across, you know, the the works of mercy and those things, I think, are uh, we we can all agree and rejoice and be encouraged and actually be motivated to uh, to serve and to 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 work with uh, across denominational structures of people that name the name of Christ. So I think there's there's some very direct relevance uh, to us there. But then when it moves into the judgment portion, hey, before you before you move on, I want to I want to like. Uh highlight something here that there's a great book of sermons by brian garish who was a theologian at the university of chicago for years i think all these were preached at the university of chicago chapel and he preaches on this text mark 9 40 and he says this he says i can never read those words without recalling that they were once assigned to me more than 30 years ago as the text for a trial sermon i was a seminary student at the time and it was the president of the school himself who chose the text for me he was a charming gentle liberal whose faith had none of the sharp edges minded then i may have imagined it but 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 i suspected and still do that the text was meant to place a mild question mark over my passion for exposing heretics in the church that was a very long time ago in any case on receiving my text and a note from the president i marched off to his lodge and reminded him that it was also written in matthew twelve thirty: whoever is not with me is against me I had the impression I made him nervous. I could have imagined that too, but he did what he always did when he wasn't quite sure what to say. He rolled a strip of paper between the palms of his hands while he gazed thoughtfully at his shoes, his head inclined slightly to one side. Finally, he looked up with a cheerful smile and gave me his reply. Garish, my friend, you may preach on both texts. (laughs) (laughs) And Garish said that's what he did. And he has this interesting take on these texts. He says, 
that whoever is not against us is for us calls for generosity in our estimate of others. The second, whoever is not with me is against me, calls for honesty in testing ourselves. By the one, we accept the profession of others. By the other, we try, we try our own profession. One says, judge not. The other says, examine yourself. And that's an interesting way to look at those two texts. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. I, I, I think that, um, you know this this passage fits in a number of of those uh, passages of Christ saying where he, he's you know he's speaking of stumbling blocks the scandalon right the stumbling block here and addresses it to those who call little ones who believe in me to sin and those those who do that it'd be better for them to be basically drowned in the sea you know very very semitic overstatement type thing uh, a millstone around his neck very visual but it, it's you know if he then he moves on to to our own issues so that's that's one thing if you're causing someone else to stumble that's one thing but now it's and if your hand causes you to sin cut it off right it moves directly to our own internal issues and the need for sort of drastic repentance drastic um transformation um in this in this particular case you know it it goes all the way to hell so you know, if your hand um, causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have having your two hands go into hell and into this unquenchable fire. So I guess that's, uh, you know, the unquenchable fire of Gehenna or something like that. In this case, I mean, it's just, again, those strong statements of Jesus, very hyperbolic statements. I would put this as, as hyperbole. Um, but it is calling for a very serious. It's interesting. There was the story of this guy uh, several years ago, right? I think it was 2003. Aaron Ralston, who was rock climbing in Utah or something, and he fell in this crevasse, and he was there for days, and he had to cut off his own hand, like it was cut. It was stuck in this crevice, and he punctured it or something. And he said this gaseous yeah. stuff. It just smelled so bad. He was on Howard Stern actually. And his interview, I mean, he's like, I just knew that had to get away from me, this hand. And I, he broke his hand and then cut it off with a knife. And Stern was like, I would have just died. <laughs> you know, like, and probably many of us or most of us would, you know, but yeah. this is this image of now, if I'm going to live, I've got to, I've got, it's, it's this literal <laughs> sort of image of the, of the metaphor. But, you know, but I think of, you know, Paul's statement that he'd rather be cut off you know, if his own countrymen in Israel could be saved. And and Jesus quite literally is cut off, right? Father, why have you forsaken me that we could be brought in, you know, and, and Jesus is broken that we could be made whole. And that is sort of the answer, right, to these things that cling to us is that we look at the the suffering servant Jesus and what he's done for us. And, and you know, that that would change, that would, that that love would, would, would drive away those things that weigh us down and, you know, and, and deform our humanity. Yeah. I think it's an intriguing, intriguing, the last statement um, in this reading where he, he goes beyond the, you know, again, the, if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. Uh, but then he says, you know, describing, he describes, you know, thrown into hell where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. Then for everyone will be salted with fire. That's a very interesting salt statement. We, we have a bunch of other ones, a few other ones, um, you know, the, the, your salt and light kind of statements. But this one is, is very interesting. What does it mean? Salted with fire. Well, 
One commentator says that um, he, he points out that there is a role for salt in the sacrifices. So in Leviticus two thirteen b, you know, with all your offerings, you shall offer salt. So there's a there's a reference there to to the background, but uh, it might be here that the the idea is you know you salt some of the fire. One of the things that they did in the ancient world is they would salt you know the fields of their enemies after they conquered them, so that they couldn't grow crops again. And I wonder if there's something there, like salted with fire, meaning uh, he's just talked about cutting things out of yourself. Um, and indeed, you know, I don't, uh, this is hyperbole. I don't think he means for us to literally cut off our hand if we've stolen something. Um, and unlike some of the unfortunate early church fathers, right, who thought of <laughs> other things to cut off, unfortunately, um, and took this in a more literal way. But it is like when, when you have issues of sin it is like cutting things off to to repent there's a kind of direct analogy to that you know when something is really important to us then to be able to set it aside i think about addictions for example this is analogous to cutting off you know a hand cutting off a foot um plucking out an eye and perhaps that the reference to salting with fire is the idea of you're not going to let it grow back uh just like the ancient salting of of um Salting of the ground to to stop uh, to stop the enemy's crops from growing again, and then he then he says, of course, after that um, he moves on and, and you know raises up salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season with it? So you know this could be a, a mixed metaphor. Have have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So that's a very intriguing statement. There's probably a lot. Uh, to be said Greg, yeah, for that's, that and for line. those who are inclined to the culinary arts, this is probably the salt and seasoning. As you are, this is probably a, a fun passage. And and thanks for talking about all these passages. <laughs> <laughs> that that makes me that makes me. I have one more. I have a little anecdote that I can close with on that. A few years ago, I had some friends from Eastern Europe over, and so one one uh, brother who's a pastor in in Hungary. And he, he was like really into uh, hot stuff. So I guess Hungarians really like hot sauce, so, you know, hot sauce and things like this. But we, we had dinner together and he said, Oh, that was so good. It would have been better if it had just had the fire of the salt. And he named this salt like mono. I don't think it was MSG, but it was something like that. You know, it was like some kind of derivative of salt that has a very fiery taste. And he said, Oh, that would have just made it all the much better just to have that really hot, fiery salt on, on this food. So I'm not sure what uh, product that is. That has yeah, fiery in the salt, church, you know, in, in word and sound, it's of like, the a fire. Resa- like a resalination station. So thanks, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for listening to the Synaxis podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Greg Strawbridge for being my guest today. And thanks again to you all for listening. Until next time, fare thee well.